Open to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, last week we started Gospel of Mark, our first foray into it. We only got eight verses done, shameful. I was only going to do three today, but I, I'm going to go all the way from verse 9 to uh, verse 13. Two things are happening, the baptism of Jesus Christ and his temptation in the wilderness, and they kind of go together. I couldn't break them up, although I have enough to say on either one of them to fill a whole teaching. So again, I'll talk fast. Uh, I'll read. I'm going to go back all the way to the first verse and read through the first 13 verses, and I'll start the teaching in verse 9, okay? This will be uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 13. Again, I'll start in the first verse as far as reading, and then we'll pray and we'll unpack. Okay, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I, after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him. Now, I don't know if I said 14 or 13, but that's where we'll end our reading today. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look into your word, you would illumine, you would uh, guide us, thrill us with the life of Jesus Christ. It's been a long time since we've studied one of the Gospels. And Lord, you know, the, the whole Bible is about Jesus. He says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And Lord, we would see him afresh this morning and we would we would live accordingly, having met up with Jesus afresh, Lord, we would, that it would change our lives for good and for God forever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 7, John says, There cometh one mightier than I, after me the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down loose. Indeed, I have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Verse 9, it came to pass. Okay, so he's saying this is what's going to happen. Verse 9, and now it happens. Now you understand something about the baptism of John. Let's talk about baptism. Immersion, small point, but big enough to talk about. Well, I was baptized when I was a, a baby. I, I would just humbly suggest to you <laughs> no such thing happened. That would be child abuse. Um, I was 
they poured a little water on my head when I was a baby too. I don't count it as anything. My faith wasn't involved. In scripture, we never see any baby immersed and we never see the, 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 the parents, you know, on behalf of the child, you know, making a faith choice. We, we, just, we just simply never see anything like that. So now if you say, well, I count it as something, well, count whatever you want. Because at the end of the day, you know, people always ask me, is baptism necessary? And I always think, <laughs> where's the rest of the question? <laughs> is it necessary for salvation? Certainly not. Certainly not. You say, well, Adam, I think it is. Well, then why would Paul say to the Corinthians, I thank God that I baptized none of you. And he says, except Crispus and Gaius and the household of Stephanus or something. He names the ones he baptized. Why would the greatest and I mean the greatest evangelist of all time, praise God that he didn't baptize any of them if baptism was necessary for salvation. Now in some teachings, in some philosophies, some different religions, it is necessary. But I, you, can't, you can't make a case of it scripturally. Not, not to me you can't. It's always a believer and it's always by immersion, which by the way would rule out you know, any ideas of babies. Now, what happens if, you know, you're somebody's profoundly, you know, what happens if somebody's in a wheelchair and they literally cannot be immersed? L listen, I I'm not, everyone always wants to make the rule, the ex everyone always wants to make the exception the rule. We should just roll them out into the water and just hold your breath, there you go, you know, tip the chair back and make sure they're totally, or, uh, if such a thing could be done, and, you know, if, the, if it's an electronic wheelchair and it shuts down and that's a bad thing. You know, there's so many different factors. Could you pour water on somebody's head in that situation? Well, there's a lot of different, I'm just saying the normative, the way it's supposed to be, the way that we see it scripturally is immersion. And by the way, you, when we've done this in the past, I've talked about, like, when we have, like, baptism and you know, coming up on a Baptism Sunday, and, and I always discuss it. It's a picture of, you know, death and burial under the water and resurrection. We don't leave them under there, right? So it's a picture. And pouring, sprinkling, that, that you lose the picture, don't you? Uh, there's no resurrection to newness of life event taking place. And when I was baptized, I... They tell me I was. I was way too young to remember it. Um, I, I didn't like walk in newness of life. If any man be in Christ is a new creation, on like day 12 of my life, like between day 11 and day 12, there was no new creation activities, just in case you're wondering. Anyway, let's keep moving. So we see baptism, and now is the other point. He's, his whole message is repent for the remission of sins. Now Jesus shows up. It came to pass in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. Now the other scriptures tell us they had a little bit of a, tiff is too strong a word, but a, but a okay, okay, let me set the table. John had been saying, you know, I, I can't even stoop down and loosen his, his sandal. I'm not even a foot-washing slave compared to the guy who's coming. Okay, he's so far above me. And he's been telling everybody, this is, means repent. 
And now here comes Jesus. He says, hey, I want to be baptized. And he's like, well, look at Jesus. I'm <laughs> oh, man, I don't know how to tell you this. I've been telling everybody this is unto repentance. Sorry. And by the way, shouldn't you be baptizing me? Now, how many think... There's no wrong answer here, okay? I know we're not a hand raised. How many think that John's argumentation is kind of reasonable, and you might say the same thing. You're baptizing, and Jesus shows up and says, I want you to baptize me. How many think, like, you might say, yeah, I think you got this <laughs> a little bit reversed, Jesus. I think you should probably baptize me. How many think that's probably a reasonable thing? Yeah, yeah, which begs the question, why? And, of course, Sermons are sermonized, the teachings are taught, uh, books are written, a whole, you know, it opens a whole can of worms about why someone who is sinless has to repent from what? And that's always a, a question. Now, let's just understand something right away. Sinless Jesus does not have to repent. So then why is he baptized that a unto a baptism of repentance. Well, let the Scripture answer the Scripture. Because when he's, he, I think it's in the Gospel of Matthew, he comes and he says, uh, i, I got to get baptized, I want to get baptized. And John says, you're supposed to be baptizing me. And he said, do you remember? Anyone know what it says? Uh, you, paraphrase, okay, because you don't have to get this exactly. There's no points for getting a word or two wrong. I'm not going to subtract points. But do you remember what Jesus says? He says, allow it for now to fulfill all righteousness. You remember that? So we can, you know, run around arguing about this, arguing about that. What Jesus seems to think, and of course, he's correct only always, right? God is always right. What Jesus seems to think is this is going to fulfill all righteousness. And I got a question. How so, Jesus? How so is that going to fulfill our righteousness? Because here's the thing. Do you remember, let me draw a picture back in the Old Testament, right? I sinned a sin. Ugh, I did it. I stole whatever I stole. I have to restore it fourfold, twofold, whatever it was. I can't remember all the particulars. And I got to take a lamb out of my flock. Oh, come on with me, lamb. And I got to drag it to the high priest at the temple, and he has got to sacrifice that lamb, literally kill that lamb because of my sin, okay? Um, what happens? I take it to the high priest. He takes a knife to its throat and cuts its throat. You say, thank you for this grisly little... I know, right? But that's the feeling you're supposed to have. It, it is grisly. And what am I doing? The penitent, the, the sinner, sacrifices one innocent lamb who never did anything. What am I doing? I have my hands on the, the lamb's head. What's that of? It's association. It's an it's a imputation. It's an identification probably is the best word. I'm identifying with the lamb. This should be me. I'm not dying. This lamb's dying. But the lamb didn't do anything. But I'm associated with, I'm, I'm identifying with by putting my hands on, on the head. 
You starting to get it a little bit? Okay. We make a covenant in the Old Testament. Okay, I'm going to rent you this land for the season, and you're going to plant barley, and I'm going to get the first 12% of the produce, and you're going to get the rest. What happens when we make this covenant? We don't have lawyers. We don't have courts. We have covenant. And what do we do in a situation like that? Lamb again. Boy, Old Testament, lambs are getting whacked all the time. And if you're like animal lover, you, you can't read the Old Testament but feel like, Ugh. but that's entirely the point. You don't have to love animals. You can just see this is kind of like a, it's a bloody religion, isn't it? Listen, it is. It is. No, no apologies. So I'm making this covenant. I'm making this. So what do I do? I take a lamb, cut it right in half. I put peace here. I put a piece here. And we recite the, the terms of the covenant as we figure eight through the lamb. Walk up to it. We take this little figure eight and we say, really? Yeah. You remember when God did that? When he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Adam, uh, Abraham. And they cut the, the bull and the lamb and the goats and the birds they didn't cut. And God passed through the pieces. And Adam, uh, what am I saying? Abraham was asleep and he wasn't promising anything. The point of that whole covenant, God passing through the pieces, made it a unilateral covenant. Why would you pass through a dead animal to make a covenant? Because what you're saying is, this is me if I don't keep my end of the covenant. Identification. Okay, so there's a lot of scripture. We don't think about this in terms of this because we don't have like, well, we don't cut covenants. We have lawyers involved, ink, (laughs) writing, uh, implement on paper, Uh, judges are involved. Uh, You know, that's how we make covenant now. Nobody dies. Um, By the way, I like our system a little better, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. But that's the way they did it. And it's identification. We don't have anything like that. Because we don't, we don't, when you sin, you know what you do? You say, this is what I do. I live a life of repentance. Constantly turning from sin. As I walk through this world, getting my feet dirty, by way of analogy, you remember the washing of the disciples' feet. You know, I'm, I'm confronted with these bad ideas and thoughts, and some of them make me crazy, and I just want to... You ever get like that and you say, wait a second, calm down. This ain't, this ain't we're not, I have to remind myself all the time, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities. People may make me crazy, but those are the same people that Jesus died for, and I get all crazy about it, but he doesn't want me to get all crazy. He wants me to pray. He wants me to exercise faith. He wants me to repent of those ideas I had of doing violence to a person. So I'm constantly in a state of repentance. We don't kill animals. Why? Jesus Christ died once and for all. So we don't have to take a, a goat to, or a lamb to a high priest and, and have that uh, killed on our behalf. I think it's a good system. But you've got to understand what Jesus Christ's done. When the first time John saw him, John chapter 1, first time John the Baptist saw him, and it's recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He, he pointed to a, a guy, 
a carpenter, his cousin, said, behold, the Lamb of God. And all the people would understand exactly what he meant. So Jesus, who became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, is starting that work way before the cross. Okay, let's break this down. He, Jesus, he knew no sin, but he became sin for us. What does that mean? I, I, I know the words, what they mean. How did someone become sin? In the economy of God, it was, we, it was like us putting our hands on the head of Jesus Christ and transferring our guilt, identifying with the one who was going to die, and he became sin for us. Well, the wages of sin is death. Now he's dead man walking. And he actually paid the price for our sin. He became sin for us. Why? That we, that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's a wonderful transaction. That's why the gospel is such good news. Am I going to stand before God and give answer for all the things I've ever done? Well, if God says, well, Adam, why did you sin? I'm going to say, without trying to be sarcastic, because that's my first initial. Duh! I'm a sinner! I mean, there's no answer for that. There never was. There never could be. Why am I going to rationally explain why I'm such a horrible person to God? Who knows better? I can just point to the cross. Well, I can, if I'm in the throne, I'll point to the one sitting to the right hand of him saying, yeah, he took care of all that. And he's given me his righteousness. I don't think the question's going to come up. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Because I'm a horrible, twisted, sick, psychopathic human being who's only concerned about himself. That's the answer. You want to know the answer. But he knows all that. But he became sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I would submit to you, this is the beginning of that. This is the identification. I know I don't have anything to repent about. But suffice it for now. We have to... We have to do all righteousness. We have to, because he's, he's, on, he's on a, God tells him what to do and he does it. And he's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go. I want you to set yourself an example. And this is like that transference. This is that identification. This is the beginning of the process. And then so what happens? He comes up out of the water. Because you always do if it's done right. Verse 10, straightway came up out of the water. He saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. We're famous for that. Calvary chapels, Calvary chapel dove, right? A friend of mine made that, gave it to us. And I've been hanging it here ever since. Wonderful. Uh, it's copywritten. Uh, we have to have permission to use that. Do I have permission to use that? Yeah, because I'm Calvary chapel. Uh, but is, is the Holy Spirit a dove? No, it's just an analogy. It's just a picture. He, he descended on him like a dove. So when you saw that, did it look like, that? was there a bird, you know, fly out, a white dove come and land on Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Was it a visual thing? Well, I, I think obviously. I don't know that much about it. But here, the Spirit of God is preparing Jesus Christ for his ministry ahead. He had done that with John the Baptist from his mother's womb. We looked at that last week. Jesus is going to be doing 
God's work. Will he do it in the power of his own flesh? Now, by the way, I want you to understand something. I think the work of Jesus Christ is carried on by the power of spirit. The humanity of Jesus Christ, not the deity of Jesus Christ, is on display here. Okay? He can do everything as God. Well, we know that. He created. This is Jesus Christ. He can do anything. But he's doing these things in the power of the Holy Spirit as a human being. Now, think of this, and I always want to say this, every time I talk about Jesus' humanity, everyone gets kind of nervous, like, oh, he thinks he's just a man. Of course I don't. He's the God-man. Let me say it again. 100% God, 100% man, 100% of the time. Okay? He's not like you and I in sin. He's not like you and I in... He's deity. Is he human like us? Yes except without sin. Now the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and there was a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. This is a very Trinitarian baptism, is it not? The Son of God is in the water, the Father is speaking from heaven, and the dove, the the Holy Spirit, is descending on him like a dove. All members of the Trinity are here. Now, I talked to one guy, and he's one of these Jesus-only people, and he talked about, like, well, you know, this and this, and this is a mirage, and God, and he threw his voice, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. It just takes you more to believe that wackiness than just... Now, we're not used to thinking in terms of Trinitarian. That's a non... I'll say this. Non-intuitive. Bible says... Um, Hero Israel, the Lord is one. But the word they use for one there is not a, it's a compound one. It's like, we don't have a word for it in English. Like if I said, uh, oh, his thing, um, God made them male and female, and it said, and the two shall become one flesh. There's two people becoming one. Is that two or is it one? Well, both, depending on the context. My wife's across the way right now with the little little ones. Uh, loves doing that, by the way. Um, we're one. We're not even in the same room. We're still one. Sometimes I'm at work and she's at home or, or she's off shopping and I'm at home or a lot of different things, but we're not in the same. We're still one. How does that work? Because that compound one. We're not one one. We're two one. I'd say like, you know, we had a board meeting the other night and me and the staff were one on this. Well, there's seven people in the room. How do seven people become one? It's the same one. It's a compound one. And that's the word that God used when he says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You can look it up. You can study it out. It's all there. So even, remember the Bible says, let us create man in our own image. Kind of a hint of the Trinity. Was, you know, like uh, Jewish people say, no, that's the royal one. Like a queen will say, uh, we're going to have tea now. And she means she's going to have tea. You know, you better start bringing it. Uh, no, no, no. There's none of that royal one scripture stuff. Uh, let us create man in our image means exactly that. And you can go all through the Old Testament and New Testament see the idea of Trinitarian doctrine. And I think probably the less said about it, the better. Because I've heard people always like, you know, God's like an egg. He's like an egg, huh? Yeah, is the shell and the white and the yolk 
God's not like any egg I've ever seen. I, I'm just going to tell you that, okay? And people make like too much of the three and too little of the one or vice versa. And there's nothing quite like the Trinity. You know, there's three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit of God. And we have one God. I, I'm teaching it. Scripture says it clearly. And you say, yeah, but I don't understand it. Welcome to my life. But I'm going to show you. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, baptized, coming out of the water, and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. The Spirit's attending Jesus' baptism, and, the, and God speaks from heaven. And what does he say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am already well pleased, by the way, if you look to it in the original language. He hasn't done a miracle yet. What has he done? Oh, made somebody a table or a door or built their house or... And God's saying, I'm already well pleased with him. Because and the reason I say that is most of us won't preach in front of people, won't have a following, won't have a church, won't have a ministry, won't heal people, won't get crucified, won't raise from the dead, won't do a lot of things. And God says, you know, he's already been obedient. He's already been my son. I've already delighted in him. Just a thought. Can you be a spirit-filled Carpenter and have God delight in you? I tell you, you can. Anyway, let's keep moving. Thou art my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. I've talked to people in the past. If God is, why don't he just open a heaven? Hello, here I am. He did. Three times in Scripture, a voice from heaven spoke. One time it's recorded. No one's going to go there, but I don't want it. You can look it up on your own. One time, God speaks and says something very similar to this. And people say, it thundered. You remember that? Remember this? Oh, good, good, good. Now you get something to look up. You can find this. People said it thundered. Because I always think like, you know, uh, God said, hey, that's my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him. Did it thunder? I think it thundered. Yeah, it thundered. There's no shortcut around faith. There's not. If you want to hear God and then ascribe it to thunder later on, you're perfectly free to do that. Because I had this discussion with somebody at work. I had a lot of good discussions. Anyway, he was, it's your little buddy there uh, on your team there. Because we would, yeah, yours. <laughs> I didn't want to say your name because, you know. Anyway, uh, yeah, your little buddy there who's the atheist, you know, and very, and, I, and, he, says, and he was going, well, why don't God just, I said, that happened been there, done that, and people ascribed it to thunder. And if you don't want to believe in God, you're going to find 101 reasons not to believe in God. You always will. You always will. He's not going to. It's always a question of faith. Here, people will hear and still. Now listen, later on, this is very important because later on, the Pharisees say, who do you think you are? And what authority are you doing these things? He says, I got a question for you. You remember? He says, John's baptism, was it of God or was it of men? You think he's being very cagey because they say, well, well, if we say uh, of men, well, we fear, they think John's a prophet. We can't say that because the people will stone us. But if we say of God, he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? 
But the answer to the question is, if you don't believe John's authority, you're not going to believe mine. It comes from the same place. Don't you remember? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is important. This is People would have heard this. People would have testified of this later on. The Sanhedrin's coming. The Pharisees are coming. Maybe they're already here at this point. And they're saying like, okay, what's going on? Who do you think you are? Why are you baptizing? He's saying, yeah, and he tells the whole story. He gives the message. Were the Pharisees present when they heard this voice? Because God himself is testifying. See that guy in the water there? Come up, he's all soaking wet. That's my son. That's my best boy. I love that guy. I am already really well pleased with him. Quite a imprimatur, wouldn't you? Quite a stamp of approval, wouldn't you say? Uh, it's my beloved son. I'm, I'm well pleased. Immediately the Spirit dri- driving him into the wilderness. We see this immediately. See that like over 40 times in this gospel. He's the He's the immediate guy. This happened, and then this happened. And then this, and like, I told you last week, it's kind of like a shooting script. And it almost kind of makes you like you were there. I want you to be there in your mind. Go with Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit is driving him into the wilderness. The Spirit driveth him, it says. And it's a word. It means like drive. Like, okay, you've got to go in the wilderness. You've got to go in now. And why? Is Jesus not willing? No, it's just a the intensity of the situation, apparently. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan. He was with the wild beast, the angels ministered unto him. You say, well, yeah, but aren't there like three temptations? But we're not going to look at that right now. We will. I'll put that on the back burner for a minute. But it forces us to look at the whole thing. Well, why was he tempted of Satan? Well, why was he baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. He became sin for us, right? Is this part of that fulfill all righteousness? Is this part of identification? Oh, oh, listen, in a big way. Compare, this is the second Adam scripturally. Okay, the last Adam, I mean, not the second. This is the last Adam. Compare him with the first Adam. Yea, hath God said, what happened? Believe Satan rather than believe the Word of God. You know the story. Listen, he was in a garden under ideal conditions, full belly. I bet Adam never knew hunger. I bet he never knew hunger. And he had a companion. Was he there all alone with wild beasts? No, he's in a garden with his wife, whom he just adored, who he thought was some special, who he was just. Full belly, no problems, no issues, everything's going good, God is blessing, God has given him every heart's desire, there was no need, there was no want. And under those conditions, Eve fell and took Adam with, and the, the, the fall of mankind happened. Now, nobody's here when this happens. I'm seeing that Jesus around a fire campfire one night with his boys and he says you know i gotta tell you a story happened a long time ago when i first got baptized the spirit of god drove me out in the wilderness and i had a score to settle adam dropped the ball i recovered it i picked it up and ran with it and i gotta let you know and it wasn't under ideal conditions at all full belly no he had he had fasted for 40 days Okay, he's at his weakest. He's in the wilderness. He's not in a garden. Sometimes you feel like you're in the wilderness. 
Do you ever? Like, like uh, you're in a dry place. Because wilderness here is in a forest, like we always think of. Wilderness is a desert place. He's, there's wild animals. Jackals and hyenas. There's scorpions. There's nasty snakes. There's not cuddly little pets all around him, stuff like that. They don't hang out in the wilderness. He can hear, you know, their jackals or whatever calling to their mate. He can hear a barn owl at night. He's, he's cold. It's really hot in the day. It's really cold at night. He's fasting. 40 days is about as much as you can go before bad things start happening internally. You know, fast is a good thing. I mean, it really is. I'm not a doctor. I know some things that, you know, your body will get rid of a lot of toxins in two or three days. And it will, you know, eat a lot of your fat and unnecessary t- things and stuff like that. After 40 days, you, you start devouring some muscle mass and, some th- and, you know, your heart's a muscle. So after 40 days, and I'm not even... Please say, Adam said, Adam said I should go on a 40-day fast. Now, you should talk to your doctor about that, okay? Uh, I, I'm not dispensing medical advice. I'm not qualified. But a fast is a good thing. 40 days here. And he's tempted by Satan. Is he tempted all 40 days? You'd almost think so by the way it's worded here. I don't know that. But Satan comes to him and he, and he gives him the... I know in Matthew it says, if you're the son of God... God said that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But I don't think Satan is saying if you're the son of God with, with the idea of if. The class condition is since. Listen to his argument. Since you're the son of God, can you imagine? You're out here in the wilderness. How come you're in a palace or something? You're here starving to death. Is this the way God treats his son? Really? Why don't you... I got a good idea. Why don't you take these rocks here and make them bread? I always think like, what's the harm? Is there a scripture somewhere that says, don't turn bread, don't turn rocks into bread. You're going to get in trouble doing that. I mean, you know, Jesus does that. He's hungry because sometimes God moves you in such and such a way and people won't understand it or get it or this is what God has for me right now. I know it. I know it's not a sin to not. It would be a sin for me. I, God's telling me this is what I need to be doing at this part of my life right now. And I want to obey God. I want to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. I want to be led by the Spirit of God. I want to be sensitive to the voice of Jesus Christ. And I've got to do this thing. But that's not his answer. His answer is, listen, it's written, man doesn't live by bread alone. It's not the most important thing. Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Would to God that we all felt the same. Now, out there, so as, as, as I was talking earlier, like, and I'm just reminded, this friend of mine said, well, how come you're not going to get the vaccine? How come you're not going to do that? And Now that the FDA, where's your excuse now? Like, I need an excuse, right? I said to him, he can't stand. I mean, he can't. I said, okay, okay, okay. When you got the vaccine, before you get it, and when you prayed and you said, Lord, do you want me to get the vaccine or not? What did God say to you? And of course, he's a, 
I don't say heathen, use that in a real derogatory term, but he's not one who seeks after God or asks God for anything. And that idea was so foreign to him. I'm afraid it's foreign to Christians too. I get it that he don't know. He doesn't seek God. He doesn't make choices based on what he thinks God's leading him into. And by the way, you have to learn how to do this first to last. You have to go. People come to me and say, you know, you think, I'm thinking about God's calling me to this university. I'm like, university, university. I'll pray with you. I don't know what God is calling you to do for education, who you should marry, what job you should have. I know where you should go to church. I know that, but that's about all I know. And, I, and I'm even joking about that. Listen, listen, I don't know the answer to that. You have to figure out how to follow God. You have to figure out how to pray and how to listen to his voice and, and how to do the things that he's calling you. You have to do that. I don't even know if Christians do that all the time. It makes me crazy because my sheep hear my voice. Jesus says. And we talk about it like, oh yeah, God's talking to you personally, huh? And they look at us like we're crazy or something. And I always think like, you mean he's not talking to you? Wait a second, let me cry. Because that's a really lamentable situation. He's not talking to you, really? God never speaks to your heart, never leads, never guides. <sighs> anyway, he's in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan. Make these stones into bread. Hey, man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Would to God that Christians got this. I don't care what the news is. I don't care what's on your network news. I don't care what the newspapers say. I care what God says. And I tell you, this is fresher than tomorrow's newspaper anyway. And by the, there's no fake news here. It's all true. You remember when we look at the end of Revelation? These are true sayings, he said. It's going to come to pass. It's not pie in the sky, by and by. It is actual, factual, going to happen. It's the word of God. Anyway, man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says, listen, once you get up on the temple here and cast yourself down, Make this grand entrance because the scripture says he'll give his angels charge concerning you. They'll, they'll pick you up so that you won't even dash your foot against the stone. You know how Satan is always moving towards self-harm? And I, I'm just going to say it, suicide. Suicidal thoughts, I, I think they come from Satan. I think a lot of things come from Satan. I don't think we perceive it. I don't think we're very sensitive to that at all. I'm, I mean, I don't think we're very sensitive to that at all. Sometimes that fear come on me. Look, 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 look. I might lose my job. <gasps> what am I going to do? What am I going to do for food? How am I going to pay my bills? We're going we're, we're to take a house away. We're going to live out. Oh, we're going to be, oh, it's going to be. Wait, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. <gasps> That's from Satan. Oh, get thee behind me, Satan. I listen to that garbage. I'm the 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I'm a, I follow Jesus Christ. Nothing can harm me unless he lets it into my life. I can't, you can't get nervous about stuff that it, God doesn't design you to be that way at all. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So when fear comes, it's either you formulating that or Satan talking to you. I don't care, I don't care either one. I'm not listening to it. 
I'm listening to the voice of God. Me and Sue decided we're never going to make a decision based on what we're afraid or, or not afraid is going to, because that never is a good decision. And the faith walk usually looks at, at fear and laughs in its face. And we usually have to overcome fear to make the choice that God, that honors God. That would be a good place for an amen, but that's, that's fine. Okay, and, and the third thing he says, so Satan's trying to move him towards, well, by the way, is that true that angels, he'll give his angels charge concerning you? Oh yeah, sure it is. But Jesus says the correct scripture in the correct time. And by the way, Satan misquotes, he will give his angels charge concerning you in all your ways. That wasn't the way of God in that particular situation. You know what the way of God was in that particular situation? Don't put God to the test. And by the way, can I tell you something? Don't put God to the test. Don't play the stupid games. He's not interested in playing. He doesn't need to prove anything. And finally, Satan says, okay, let's cut to the chase. You want the whole planet, I'll give it to you. All you can do is Bow down and worship me. Oh, you don't have to grovel. Just one knee will do. It's just you. It's just me. There's nobody else here. We'll keep this on the QT, on the down low. All you got to do is, Jesus like, that ain't happening, is written. So three times, Jesus goes to the scripture to get his answer. It is written, worship God and worship him alone. Listen, we don't have a song service here. We have worship time. We ascribe worth to God. And it is... Awesome, if you'll let it be. What do you mean? Well, God inhabits the praises of his people. I ascribe worth to him. I sing to him like he's actually listened, like he actually cares, like he, well, I don't sing very good. He made your vocal cords, and if you sing off key, it might distress the person next to you. It won't distress God. He loves it. He loves when you sing to him. He loves when you follow him, when you obey him, when you put him first. Worship God. Worship him alone. You worship angels? Remember that John bowed down in Revelation, the angel. He's like, ah, don't be doing that. I'm your fellow servant. We worship God and we worship him alone. I ain't worshiping you, Satan. I'm not bending my knee. And I think about this in a lot of areas of my life. Because, you know, we're talking about the mandate. If I follow mandates and follow everything, who's the real boss of me? And I, I, I worship God by obeying God. Obedience is a real key thing. Yeah, but Adam, didn't the scripture say to obey those who have the authority over you? Yes, yes, it does. And if you think that what they're doing is, is, is not against what God's doing, then you obey. Absolutely, positively. I wouldn't teach opposite of that. Obey the government until they tell you, until they cross the line where you can't cross anymore. Can I give you a really good example? The law of the land, right now, right as we live in 2021, the law of the land is if, if a homosexual couple comes to me and says, I want you to marry us, then I have to say yes. I have to say yes. It's the law of the land. It absolutely, positively law of the land. So God says, that's not marriage. And the government says, it is and you'll do it. Who am I going to obey? Gee, I wonder. Factor in the sarcasm. There's no way I'm going to disobey God on this. Well, Adam, you're going to pay a fine. Adam, you're going to go to jail. Adam, you're going to disobey God. Uh uh. <laughs> the first two I can't control, the third one I can control. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Because when I, I obey God, that's how I worship Him, among other ways. Okay?
and I don't obey Satan. That's called sin. And I'll tell you, I've said it before, choose a sin, choose a suffer. He's a liar. He promises things that he'll never deliver. He can't deliver. Stolen waters are sweet. Uh-uh. You're a liar. You're a liar. You're a liar. You're a liar. And he'll move with fear. He'll try to get you to commit suicide. See how all these things happen? See how satanic Satan is? He's, I don't like him. So he's with the wild beasts. Now the last verse. And the angels ministered unto him. Boy, that would be nice. What does that look like? Hey, when you put yourself in a place where you're following God, angels will minister to you too. They are ministering spirits to help the inheritors of salvation, you and I. That's what they're for. That's their function. God sends them. Sometimes you don't perceive them. You know, the Bible says we've entertained angels unawares. Who's that guy who just helped me, you know, with that? That might have been an angel. Who knows, right? Sometimes he uses his people. Sometimes he uses angels. Sometimes they're obviously angels. Sometimes they're, you wonder, you scratch your head. Was that an angel? You, you, angels came and ministered unto him in a place and a time where nobody else could, nobody else would. And I think God will still do that. Okay, our time spent. See, even if you give me extra, <laughs> I'm still up against it. Uh, so we'll end there. Let's uh, we'll we'll worship. We'll uh, go out of here in song. Let's pray. You can stand. Lord, a lot of things here. We understand that Jesus became sin for us, and if that's the one thing we walk away with that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Hallelujah for such great salvation. We thank You. We praise You. Lord, uh, help us to hear Your voice and to follow You whithersoever You lead. Now may the Lord bless Thee and keep Thee. The Lord make His face shine upon Thee and be gracious unto Thee. The Lord lift up His countenance upon Thee and give Thee peace. Amen.